Thanks. You can have a seat. So we've been wandering our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians over the summer and uh, took a break for a couple of weeks as Tom shared uh, some thoughts that were on his heart. And I want to jump back into the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning and I want to chat with you a little bit about chapter 5. And if we were to put a title on this, we would say something like this, that we're, we're going to talk about being persistent. And some of you are really good at that and some of you are not. Um, some of you have the gift of persistence, and uh, maybe it shows up in different ways in your family. But I want to talk to you this morning about something that's really counterintuitive. And these next three verses that we're going to read don't seem to fit right in the culture that we live in. And they don't often set right either, because when we think about them, we think, how in the world could this be right? How could, how could this be real? Paul's, Paul's living in kind of a dreamland where this, this would be the best, kind of the, the optimum, it, it, and nobody gets there. <laughs> but you can, and we're going to talk about how that's possible this morning. Remember that Paul is writing this book to people just like us. He's writing this book to a group of people who live in a culture that is far from God. And these folks are coming out of a culture where everybody that they knew was far from God. And their life, when they ran into Jesus Christ by Paul's explanation of who Jesus Christ was to them, and they ran into the gospel of Jesus Christ, their life was flipped upside down. And how they viewed their family and their jobs and the people that surrounded them and their entertainment and how they walked out life daily with people was completely changed, completely flipped upside down. And that's exciting on the front side. And and when that happens to us, we're full of joy. We can't wait to live life. We can't wait to tell everybody of the change that's happened in us because it's so real and it's so amazing. But then life drags on. I don't don't know about you, but, but life just keeps happening. Does it to you? You better say yes or you're dead. And I don't know what we'd do with you if you're sitting in your seat dead. But that's what happens, right? You, you, you come to know Jesus Christ and there's life change that happens, but it just keeps going. It's one step. It's the next day. It's the next day. And if you're like me, all of those days aren't on a high. All of those days don't turn out the way you think that they're going to. It's not always up and to the right. It's not always good. There's a lot of unforeseen things that take place in our lives. There's a lot of discouraging things. There's a lot of things that can grab a hold of us and get us down. And we haven't even got out of bed yet. Right? These people were living the same life that you are. And they were struggling with the same things that you're struggling with. And Paul writes this letter back to them because he knows that that's going to happen. He knows that as new believers in Jesus Christ, that life is not always going to be easy. And so he writes this little letter back and we get to these three little phrases in these verses. And he's going to talk to them about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to follow him. 
They had rough times. They had broken relationships. And he knew what they were going to be facing. He, was, he knew what was coming down the road for them because it's the same thing that had come down the road for him. Coming to Christ wasn't easy for Paul. All that he had known and all that he had given his life to was totally different than what Christ called him to. He was zealous to do good things for the church or what he thought was the church. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life and he flips Paul's life upside down. And what he was adamant about and what he was preaching, what he was telling people, Jesus says, no, I don't want you to be harsh. I don't, that's not what I, I want you to, to love everyone. I don't want you to judge people. I want you to forgive. Totally different. And so when Paul writes these little phrases to us, he's writing to a group of people knowing what happened in his own life and the difference that running into Jesus Christ made. And it's the same for you and I. We have these same struggles that Paul is going to address. He wants them to know the reality of Christ in us. That he makes us different than who we were. Folks, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you claim to have come to a point where Jesus Christ has control of your heart and your life, and you're no different than what you used to be, you need to take another look at who has control of your heart and your life because it's not Christ. If Christ gets a hold of my heart and my life, I become a totally different person. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He does a work in us that results in internal change. And this change is not short-lived. It's not just the moment I bump into God. That's not it. It changes me forever. There is something different about us. This change becomes so invasive in my heart and my life that whenever I get hit by life and other humanity, it is the Spirit of God that spills all over them. That's what he's going to refer to. Before I read the verses, let me ask you this week, when you got hit by life, when you got hit in your marriage, when you got hit at work, what spilled out? You don't say it out loud. We're in church. No. That's what he's going to talk about. If that change is real, it's the Spirit of God that spills out. It's the person of God in me that spills out. Let me read these verses and we'll jump into this. That could be the message. We could be done. You want to stop there? Let me read these verses. We're going to start in verse um, 16. He says this. Rejoice always. You're crazy, Paul. Pray consistently or constantly. Give thanks 
in a few things a week. Give thanks in what? Everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's all we're going to look at. I don't even know if we'll get through it. <laughs> this is so counter. This, this doesn't work. This, this, isn't, this isn't the day and age we live in. Paul, you're crazy. This isn't possible. Look at verse 16. He starts by saying this, rejoice always. And what that actually is just this simple, always be joyful. We're not talking about something external and fake. We're not talking about the fake smile that you have painted on your, on your face to make everybody believe that everything is going good for you. This isn't something that you make up. This isn't something that you get up in the morning and you talk yourself into being joyful. That's not what he's talking about. This is something that is not external, it's internal. It's driven from the inside of you. See, we live lives, and in our lives, there are things called joy robbers that are constantly at our door. You know what I'm talking about, the joy robbers? The joy robbers are those things that come to us from different parts of our life that make us look at things in a way that I deserve more. Right? They come in different forms. Often it can come in the form of me looking at other people and thinking this. Their life is perfect. Everything works out for them. They have it so much better than I do. And if I had their life, of course I would be joyful. That's a lie. They got a grin pasted on too. And a lot of what they're showing you isn't real. How about looking at stuff, right? Our culture's really good at this. We spend billions of dollars on advertisement. There's a reason for it. And we look at stuff. If I had the new stuff, if I had the bigger stuff, if I had the newest gadget, if I had the newest phone because the one I bought last week, they just changed and now it does new things. It'll now heat my house and start my car and cook my meals and life is so good. It would complete me, and it would complete me, and I know that I would be so much more joyful if I had the new stuff, and the problem is is that 48 hours from now, they'll create more new stuff, and so guess what we have now? We have stuff storing places all over the place where we put our stuff, and we put it under lock and key, and we visit it once a year to make sure it's still there so we can get more stuff. And be more joyful. And we're not. Joy robber. I buy into the idea that if I had more stuff, I'd be happy. I look at myself. And I look inside and I say things like this. I'm not good enough. Or I'm so much better than everybody else. If everyone could just live like I do, (laughs) this world would be so much better. Or I fall short in this area, or, or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look good in this area, or, or I'm not complete in that area, and it robs the joy from my life because all of those things are part of living in an imperfect world, in an imperfect human body that is broken and sinful. And they're all robbers. 
may rob our joy because our joy is something that we're trying to create. And Paul can only look at us and say, rejoice always, always be joyful because he knows where joy really comes from. And joy is something that can be seated inside of me, inside of my life. And you're sitting there this morning and go, that's great, Tim, but how in the world is that possible? How can joy really be something that is seated in my heart and my life? Let me read you some verses from Philippians chapter 4. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. He's talking to a church in Philippi. This is Paul. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. And I didn't say this out of need, but for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself, whether, whether Phil has more stuff than I do or not, I, I can be content. Whether, whether his life looks better than mine or not, I can be content. Whether, whether I look at myself and I seem to be falling short, I can be content. Paul says, whatever circumstances I find, I know how to both be, make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any circumstance, I have learned the secret to being content, joyful. What is it? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, here it is. Catch this last phrase. Here it is. Quote it, say it with me. It's on the screen. I am able to what? Do all things through strengthens me. That hymn there is Christ. You want joy? You want something that's real inside of you? You want to remove the joy robbers from your life? Then fill your life with the person of Jesus Christ, and it will change all of that. And Paul says, I've learned, I've been in every circumstance that you can imagine. I've been so wealthy that people wanted to be like me. I've been in a place where I have absolutely not, I don't even have enough to eat, but I'm full because Jesus Christ is real in me. He lives in me. And some of you are sitting here and say, but I'm a Christ follower and I don't feel that way. That's because you're relying on the feeling, not on the fact of who Christ is and what he promises you. And you're not living in that fact of who Christ is. It comes from knowing Christ. Paul said it this way. He was single-minded. He said, this one thing I do, I follow Christ. Christ and only Christ in me. For me to live is Christ. That was Paul. We live in a day and age, folks, where even as Christ followers, we look out and we say, look, for me to live is Christ and my work. Or for me to live is my family and Jesus. For me to live is my entertainment, the thing that I enjoy the most in my life, and God and Jesus. And scripture says, no, that's not how that works. For me to live is Christ, Christ first, Christ first. My relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost, everything else fills in after the fact. It's Christ first. And the reason that we're robbed of the joy in our life is because we've shoved everything else in front of Christ. If I have time for God, I'll show up. If I have time for Christ, I'll read a little scripture today. We got it backwards. We're looking for joy in the places that cannot produce it. And we're 
ignoring the one person who can. Christ. Christ. When I get to the point where Christ is first, the Spirit of God lives in me and is able to work in my heart. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in me. And guess what those are? Love, joy, rejoice. The Spirit of God produces joy in me. I don't produce it in myself. It's God who produces that joy in me. It is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who produces joy in my life. And whatever joy that I produce in me is unsustainable. You can't keep it up. You can get up in the morning and start out happy, but you'll end the day somewhere else. Every day, you're right. But if it's Christ, if it's Christ that's putting that in me, that's sustainable, people. That's the spirit of God in work. As the Holy Spirit gains control in my life, as he gets the seat that belongs to him, the core of my life changes. And how I view life and what I do in life completely changes. And I am driven by the spirit of God. What I am talking about should be evident to all around me. It's not a secret. And as it's happening in my life, my response to people becomes totally different because the joy of the Lord drives me. That's why Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage you, or your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. What he's saying is this. He's not talking about arguing for faith. He's saying when the joy of God is evident in your life, when the spirit of God has control of your heart and your life, and people see what spills out of you, you got bumped and the spirit of God spilled all over them. The joy of God spilled all over them. They're like, what is wrong with you? Instead, they say that to us because when we get bumped, the anger of Tim spills all over them. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And it should be just the opposite. It should be because the love of Jesus Christ, the joy of God spills on them. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Why do you respond like that? And Peter says it this way. Look, when that happens, guess what you get to do? You get to explain what your faith is really all about. You get to tell them the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. You don't need to argue anything. You're pointing to the one who makes you joyful. You're pointing to the one who changed you. It's not about arguing. See, arguments are cold. Arguments are clinical. When I talk about purpose and mission, When I talk about faith in Jesus Christ, it has to do with passion. It has to do with heart. It has to do with who I am as a person. This can only be true of us as Christ followers if the Spirit of God actually has a home in our hearts. Rejoice always. How's that going for you? 
How you been doing with that? Does Christ actually have a home in your heart? The second one, and this leads to it, the rejoice of Jesus Christ. How can I keep my eyes on Christ so the joy of Christ is found in me? Is found in verse 17. The answer to how I keep joyful, how I keep going in that vein of rejoicing is found in verse 17. What's verse 17 to say? He says this, what? Pray what? Constantly. Yeah, right. Pray constantly. How, I can't keep my eyes closed and drive down the road. Well, you, yeah, one eye at a time, maybe, Phil. I don't know. How in the world do I pray constantly? We always think of this in terms of I've got to have my eyes closed. I've got to be kneeling, whatever it is. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an ongoing, constant conversation with someone who is really close to me. And when I was thinking about this verse, I thought about Pam and I. And I thought about this. We have an ongoing conversation. Often our conversations don't really come to an end. We may be talking about something and we both have to go do something and we come back and we pick the conversation up. Now, sometimes we pick it up without notifying the other person that we're picking it up and it gets really confusing, but we do, we keep talking. And I may be more to blame on that one than she is, but it does happen. And we also have something too that I learned a long time ago in our marriage is I sometimes can wake up starting the conversation from last night because I've when I wake up, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm a morning guy. And when I wake up, I'm, I'm full gear, let's go. And I learned that somebody else may not be quite as excited that morning is there and ready to have the conversation. Now, the difference, and that's where that, that, that example kind of breaks down a little bit because with God, he's always ready, okay? And what I want you to understand about this pray constantly is this. Look, guys, before you get out of bed, when your eyes begin to flutter open and you're beginning your conscious awareness that life is still here, before you put your feet on the floor, God, we're starting another day. I need you. We need to be in this one together. And you're always in and I'm not. <laughs> That's always the way that goes, people. Remember that. He doesn't leave. It's me. You're always in, and I'm not. So help me today. Start your day out right. Look for opportunities in the day that are set aside just to talk to God. No interruptions, just you and God. Where you can stop for a few moments, and you can say, okay, God, this is the day that's before me. Would you help me with this? I, I, I got to have this conversation. I know it's coming today. Would you, by your spirit, help me? Help me. Give me wisdom. God, we're looking at doing this in our home. Is this the right thing that we should do? God, our, we're, we're struggling with this, this one of our children, and, and this has been going on for a while. God, would you help me to, to be Christ-like in how I answer and how I respond God, my spouse and I, have we've been a little bit at odds. It's a little out of sort right now, and, and maybe it's me. Maybe my heart's out of place. Would you help me? Would you help me to, to, to love my spouse as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her? God, I'm going to run into a lot of people today. And it's often within me to miss people because I'm so wound up in what I'm doing. God, would you help me to see folks as you see them today? 
God, there's people who are going to serve me today. Often they serve me, and I don't even realize it. Would you, would you help me to realize their servant heart? Stop. Take a moment. Talk to God. Get some time where it's just you and him. And then, and then as you go through the day, make it a constant prayer. Don't stop. As you're driving, and that person does what that person always does, you know what I'm talking about. I went the shortcut the other day because I was in a hurry and the person didn't know it was a shortcut. They were all over the road and so slow. God, I'm an idiot. I don't need to be there five minutes earlier. Talk to him all day long about everything that's coming up in your life. Get in the habit of an ongoing, intimate conversation with God. It's what I do with my wife. Why wouldn't I do it with the, with the, the creator of the universe? I can't wait to tell Pam what went on in my day. I can't wait to tell her that a cat ran across the road when I was driving down the hill. Because she likes cats. Not because I do. She does. But why in the world wouldn't I do with that, with the one who created me and loves me intimately? He loves everything about me, and yet I don't talk to him about anything. I forget. And he cares. And then when you come to the end of your day and you're putting your pillow back on your head, God, it's been a day. It's been a great day. And some people have talked to me, so I feel so bad at night if I'm praying, I fall asleep praying, and I say this, what better way to fall asleep than talking to the creator of the universe and telling him about my day and talking to him about my life and talking to him about what he hasn't planned for my life? What better way to fall asleep? Now, that's what Paul's talking. He's talking about a constant attitude, a heart attitude of prayer. But it goes farther than that, and I need you to understand this. That prayer, folks, is the power of the Christian life. The Spirit of God and God himself is moved by the prayer of his people. And it's like a parent-child relationship where you as a parent know what the child needs, and there are times as a parent you're waiting for them simply to do what? to realize what they need and ask. It's part of the maturity process. And God, in the same way, looks at us and he says, I have everything that you need at my disposal. It is all here. And through Christ, remember the joy comes with the life of Jesus Christ living in me, which that's where he said he will be. It is all there. Everything that I need, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is all there. It is all at my disposal. And God just simply says, look, would you just ask me? I'm not withholding anything, but I'll tell you where to go to get it. I'll show you what you need to do in your life to make that happen. Would you just, would you just ask the power of your Christian life is in your prayer life. And folks, when I'm telling you this, I'm speaking to myself. Because Satan is so good at getting me so busy that this is the area of my life that takes a hit. 
He is so good at saying, Tim, you're way too busy to stop and pray about this rain. Just get it done. You know what I do? I do that. And then I mess up. And then I get discouraged. And then I do it in a way that I wasn't supposed to, or I do something God never even asked me to do. That's even worse. What a waste of time. This is where the power is, guys. Pray constantly. You know what the result of that prayer is? Do you know what the result is? Verse 18. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this, give thanks in everything. The only way that you can get to the place where you can give thanks in everything is if Christ has his home in you, if you're bringing everything to the attention of God himself, and as God works out what he wants in and through me, then my response is, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what it is that you're doing. You know, we live in a day and an age where a critical spirit is really what folks have, not a thankful spirit. And the only way that I can have a thankful spirit is when I understand who I really am and I understand what I really deserve. So let me be really frank. Let me be really honest. I was born into this world as a sinner. And because of my sin and my sin nature, I am separated from the presence and the person of God, my creator. It is my nature to sin. It is my nature to be selfish. It is my nature to be proudful. It is my nature to want my own way. It is my nature to look out for myself as number one. That is my nature. And scripture tells me that because I was born with a sin nature, what I deserve is separation from God because he's holy and righteous. And what I deserve is to pay the price for the sin that is found in my life. That's what I deserve. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, because he saw what I deserved, and he knew that I would be separated from my creator for eternity, and he loved me way too much. He made a way through his son that instead of me getting what I deserved, he would show me mercy. His sacrifice for my sin on the cross provided me a way to be made right with God. I deserve to pay the price for sin, but I've been given forgiveness. You know what that makes me? Thankful. We live in a time where folks feel very entitled And I want somebody else to look after me and I want somebody else to do all the things that I don't want to do. And I want everything provided for me and I don't want to have to do anything about it. 
And I don't deserve it, folks. There's no one in North America that deserves that. We are all sinful creatures separated from God. And what we deserve is the punishment for our sin. That's what we deserve. But God, I love it in Scripture, but God who was so merciful, but God who loved us so much, forgave me, and he forgave you. And because of that forgiveness, Paul says this, be thankful in everything. Folks, we get so caught up in the small circumstances of our lives. We get so caught up in the little events that seem to drive us nuts that we miss the big picture. If you are a Christ follower, you've been forgiven, you've been made right, you have a relationship and a right standing with the God of this universe. He loves you as his child. You are a joint heir in his family. You have a place at the seat at the table. You belong in the family. The inheritance of all of creation is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't you think we ought to be thankful? Rejoice always <laughs> because Jesus Christ has made you new. Pray constantly. Talk to your Father. Have an ongoing, intimate conversation with God all the time. And be thankful in everything because you didn't get what you deserved. You got mercy instead. Father, these verses are so applicable today. And you knew that by your spirit. You knew what we needed. You always do. Oh, help us. Help us to yield our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ so that the joy of Christ would radiate out of us. And when we get bumped, the joy of the Holy Spirit would be what spills out. Thank you for the avenue of prayer that we have, that we can be in your presence at any time and all the time. Thank you, thank you. And then God, would you grant us a spirit and a heart of thankfulness for our position in your family. I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And all the riches and resources of God himself are at my disposal. Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving me not what I deserved. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Help us to live in that each day, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So guess what? You're going to have another week. It could be just like this one. Some of you are going, oh, please no be a lot different. We don't know. But church, individuals, Mossbrook Church, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks 
in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God, grant us the courage to do what you've asked. And you will use that for your glory so people would know you because of the difference that's been made in us. Amen. Have a great week.